If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. All right, thank you so much, Doug Donat. My name is Jamie Dew, and I am the host and curator of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, A Weekly Affair. Each week, we take a deep dive into the career of a former host, cast member, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once 15 of the 30 nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity into the hall. Before entering the hall, I want to remind you all, please wipe your feet. For heaven's sake, we got to keep this place spick and span. So here we are. If you've uh, done the calculations, you realize that we are at that magical 15 candidate nominee mark and we are getting ready to do a roundtable as a result which you already saw when you read the title of this episode we're really excited to welcome um some guests that have appeared on the show this season and also our friend matt from the minutia minute so we're gonna have a good time here basically roundtabling the live ballot reveal of each of these uh, guests. So they are putting their name on the line here. They are going to reveal their ballots and um, be held accountable for them. So how cool is that? This will provide a little bit of homework for you. Maybe you'll be listening to this and go, hey, that's a real good argument that I hadn't considered. Or, you know, that's poppycock. Either way, that's really cool. Make sure to register to vote and get voting yourself. But without further ado, let's go to the panel here. To my right, I've got my friend from the matinee cast, Ryan McNeil. How are you doing tonight, Ryan? Greetings and salutations. How are you? I'm excellent. Nice to see you. You too. If I seem distracted at all, it's because I'm just fixated on everything behind one of our uh, our other guests here. I'm just staring at shelves. <laughs> All right. And uh, to the right of you is our friend Kirsten Turnbull. How are you doing tonight, Kirsten? I'm great. Thank you. It's so uh, it's so great to be back on the show. I'm very excited and I feel pretty confident about my list. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dropping the gauntlet already. <laughs> and Matt, how are you doing, Matt? Good. Matt good. Ardell. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing and and uh, hearing what everybody else is thinking tonight. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I think so too. We've done this a couple times now. Uh, we did this last season, and this season we broke up the season, you know, in the middle 
partially because there's so many darn good candidates that didn't get in last year, and we didn't want to overwhelm people with a, a really, you know, a 50-ballot list. So now you're looking at 31 names. There's 31 names on the ballot, and you have up to 15 votes to cast. The question du jour is, did you use all your votes? Uh, I'd be real curious to go around the horn once again and hear from each of our guests here, each of our roundtablists, how they fared in terms of the number of votes they used. Ryan? I used 10. I thought 10 was a nice round number. And um, I thought for a moment or two about using all 15. But after I got through my first 10, I'm like, these ones feel a little bit more of a cut above everybody else. So this feels like an apt place to draw the line. So I have I have 10 names that I would put on my ballot. Okay, great. How about you, Kirsten? I have nine. Okay. Like Ryan, I... I got to nine, and in my mind, those nines stand so far ahead of the pack that I stopped. But I'm open-minded, as I was last time. I I have six votes to give if I'm convinced that I've egregiously looked someone over. Yeah, and I wanted to mention that as well. That that's absolutely fair game. You know, if you if you hear something that that you absolutely fall in love with in terms of an argument. Or maybe there's somebody that you just missed. There was an instance of that when we recorded the roundtable last night. Somebody just missed a, can- a candidate, and they added it after the fact. So that's cool. How about you, Matt? I used all 15 because I am terrible at uh, rationing. Uh, I was <laughs> like, they're all such good candidates. I could have voted for more, but you got to draw the line somewhere. So, I, But I used up all of my options. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, let's begin this thing then. It makes sense that since Matt has so many more nominees, that we'll begin with him this evening. So, Matt, where do you begin? Well, I'll I'll start with one of my writing choices because you know this is the one I went to bat for last season. So I really stand by it. Michael O'Donohue, one of you know the the first head writer pioneered the right now controversial choice i will be the first to admit that he is sure problematic in many ways uh, <laughs> but he pioneered the writing room for both good and ill the dedication to to the craft that you see in those writers gonzo writing style through and through carrying that lampoon ethos into snl especially i have to feel like he brought that edge to those early sketches Lauren kind of works the middle of the road, but with O'Donohue pulling in that lampoon ethos, he, he really, really brought that energy. And as much of a jerk as he was when he passed away at 54, all of the surviving crew, uh, cast and crew gathered at his house and poured one out to him because they still respected him. He did have problems, but it, it's one of those things where it's like he helped build the very foundations that helped it last as long as it has almost, you know, 50 years almost now. So I, I, that's my, my first pick. Excellent. Does Michael O'Donohue appear on either of your ballots, Ryan or Kirsten? No, he sir. does not. No. no. Okay. Well, then we'll move, we'll move forward uh, unless you have anything you want to say about, about that. I didn't choose musical guests or writers on this round. Oh my. I didn't choose musical guests last time either. It's tough. 
Yeah, it's that's a tough really one for me. Tough. But I actually don't have writers. But I, last time I did give points to writers based on the votes made by uh, my peers here. So uh, right now it's just it's just uh, cast and host. Okay. Well, Ryan, do you have a writer that appears in your ballot? I do. I have. I so I have the four that I went to bat for already. Spoilers, I guess, for my own ballot. And then after those four, I, I chose an additional six. So two hosts, two cast members, and two writers. And the top writer that I chose, I should preface by saying that I find it interesting that they say your musical taste is formed by your age 13 to 16 years. And that kind of defines what you're going to chase for the rest of your life where music is concerned. I feel like there is a similar appreciation to SNL. Like every one of us will have our SNL from a certain bracket of time. And I think this also leans into why some people say that SNL stopped being funny when fill in the blank. So I, a lot of mine come from a similar block of time, which is not necessarily like my formative years of 13 to 16, but it is when I was kind of watching it the most avidly. Um, so to that end, my writers that I chose, uh, they would they took the number six slot on my ballot. I chose Lonely Island because certainly right. when you consider the state of the show now and how it's been for the last 20 years, they really were formative in embracing something different. If O'Donohue was about embracing where the they were coming from with Lampoon and and you know in Second City and those kinds of institutes and crafting the mold, I think that Lonely Island, either by dumb luck or possibly comedic genius, <laughs> argue amongst yourselves, were able to harness where it would go in this century because that whole realm of the digital shorts and the music that came with it is now a very big piece. Like when they first started doing it, it was this kind of random thing that was very different from what they normally do outside of the commercials. But now it's very much a key of the show. They do this kind of thing. So when you get into their actual productivity of stuff like Dick in a Box and, um, you know, I'm on a boat and all of the different ones that they did. Um, I chose the the guys from Lonely Island. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great pick. They certainly are instrumental in changing the game, changing the look and feel of the show. Uh, I'm sure the production people appreciate the fact that they have these short videos that they cut to now when you watch them flip sets yeah, uh, you know it, it's so formatted in that in that way that they do live pre-tape live sort of thing. Yeah, and that that goes back to that trio. So great pick, Ryan. It was the, just to kind of put a cherry on it. The other thing is that really seemed to be capitalizing on uh, YouTube as a as a venue. Like their first one, Lazy Sunday, was one of the first really huge YouTube viral sensations. Yeah. And again, I don't know if it I don't know if they are just really smart or really lucky. Uh, or maybe both. But it, they really seem to kind of capitalize on how to extend the show beyond that, you know, 90 minute block on Saturday night. Uh, I totally agree with you. I was I was going to say that yeah, they absolutely should have a vote. And so that's one of my votes right there. Thanks for reminding me of the influence that they had on the show. And when you talk about YouTube, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. 
it was perfect timing. It was this kind of youthful energy and this new medium that was introduced into the show that you're right is it continues to this day and is actually one of a lot of people's favorite things about the show. But the idea that things started to go viral, like that was the moment that it did. In fact, Lazy Sunday was that for me. That was probably the first time that I was technologically able to say share and send this out to uh-huh. people or tag people and repeat watch it and want to repeat watch it. So it is a moment in time and and I've underestimated their influence. So yes, thank you for the correction on that on my list. They they were also uh, one of my picks as well for the very reasons you listed. Like they revolutionized and kind of brought SNL to a younger audience that that really had been drifting for a long time. And in a way that I found interesting too is they SNL had had a tradition of these shorts with like Smeagol and his Funhouse or Albert Brooks in the first few seasons. Also, some very dark stuff like Don't Look Back in Anger or Love is a Dream. But they kind of latched onto that absurdity and silliness of those early Albert Brooks films in a way that was much more modern and contemporary. And the musical comedy as well, which is kind of like a secret meme sauce in that it, it, it <laughs> pulls people in and it's like, oh, that's hilarious. And OK, I'll stick around for the rest of the show. So, yeah, they were definitely on my list as well. And uh, that, yeah, they... Like I, I think it is that magic combination of talent and luck that just came together, and you know, Lauren was smart in keeping them all together. <laughs> he didn't break up a winning trio. I believe too that they were they used celebrities in a way that hadn't been done before, like a Michael Bolton taking the piss out of himself, Justin Timberlake, like the like they were kind of it's not breaking the fourth wall. That's not the right way to describe it, but they had celebrities really letting their hair down for those and yeah. showing us their own sense of humor, aside from being in sketches and stuff, that they were willing to be part of the joke um, or just as zany and silly immortalized in these short videos. So I don't recall that celebrities were ever that much a part of those pre-tapes in this way. And they started leveraging their social clout also because of these and through these. Yeah, really, really quite smart, you know? Again, smarter luck. We, we we don't know, but uh, boy, the all the ingredients were there for it to happen, and it did, and that's great. Kirsten, we'll stick with you uh, and and get to your first pick. Well, do I start at the bottom or the top? Well, if you were Drake, I'd know where you would start. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to the Canadians in the room, right? Um, I'm going to start at the well. This list was not entirely in perfect order, but. I'll start at the bottom-ish. For me, it's it's someone like Paul Rudd, who had this Hollywood career, you know, shows up in Clueless, you know, the good-looking guy, and, and then starts really showing off a funny bone that is gold for something like SNL. He ends up an anchorman, and he kind of shows us a little, it gives us a little peek into kind of what the potential is there for him in a kind of uh, sketch comedy show. And then ends up doing such legendary characters and is so, so fun. And yes, selfishly, I I did talk about him. But, you know, I think of, you know, this unaging man who shows up and does the One Direction super fan and and all these incredible and amazing moments that he was a part of Vogel checks. Like he's, he's kissing cast members 
He was part of the Beyonce video that I think Lonely Island, or at least Andy Samberg, had a part of, and Justin Timberlake and Bobby uh, Monahan. So he's been there for really epic moments, and he's always game. And if you had based what you thought of his career on Clueless, you wouldn't have had any idea that he would have the career that he did. And, and SNL plays a, a big role in that, in an exposing his comedic sense of humor to a greater audience. And what came first, like Anchorman type roles or SNL, like they kind of happened at the same time, but I think they created what we know now of, what we know now is the sexiest man alive who doesn't age. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, what are you thinking? I can't disagree with anything that was said there. I mean, I love Paul Rudd. And I mean, you, know, you go back to that running bit that he would do every time that he was on Conan, where was, <laughs> where he just played that like that horrible, horrible movie clip to the point where he like tripled up in one take. One, one like, he did it three times and Conan's like, ah, you win. Like he's clearly got comedic love and chops. And and you got to wonder, is like did SNL help let him find that part in him or was he just like waiting you know and just it just all came out so yeah i i mean he's not on my list oh, he's not on he's your like, ballot oh. he's not on my ballot but it's only because i can only choose 15 gotcha so. okay you know the way you were talking i thought for sure he must appear how about you ryan he did not make my 10 uh very funny chap he's like I, I i like that he leaned into being a dork uh, I, I kind of feel like if he was only known for being handsome, if he was only the clueless guy, his career probably would have stopped at a certain point. So the fact that he started to embrace that side and pal around with the crew that he started palling around with, somebody who I will talk about later, um, and uh, and Apatow and that whole bunch of people, um, it, it really... It may have given his whole career a second act. Like he's he's talented in a lot of ways, but but him embracing the dork, I, I kind of think helped him more than becoming a superhero. All right, let's go back to Matt. Okay, I'm gonna start, uh, or I'm gonna go next to a cast member that is very near because this was my 13 to 16, which also informs one of my musical choices as well, and that's Mike Myers. I think to. T- that cast of SNL, he did what Lonely Island did to the, the, their generation of SNL. He brought a youth to it. I mean, he just pulled random, weird references that, like, unless you're watching TVO on Sundays, you're not going to know what that Simon in the Land of Chalk drawings reference was. Or, like, Wayne Campbell. I saw Wayne Campbell first on City Limits when I was, like, 14 years old. And it was, it was him and the guy who wrote black uh, that you know Black Velvet song, who was a VJ at the time, and he was like, "Oh, this this is my cousin, my cousin Wayne from Scarborough," and they were just hanging out on a patio and talking. So I mean, he just brought so much of him and his personal history, and created these bizarre characters like Dieter. Like Dieter was a waiter in a club that I DJ'd at in the early two thousands. Like this was a dude who became an iconic character. And like when I was in high school, we'd all do Wayne impersonations. We'd all know the lines from all of his sketches. So I think he brought a youth and vitality to the show that was starting to flag to some degree. I mean, it's not like the other cast weren't amazing, but you just need that injection of fresh blood every once in a while. Cool. Mike Myers. All right. 
Is he on anybody else's list? He's on mine. All right. He was one of the two cast members outside of my my own four. I uh, when when I did one of my appearances, I talked about the now and then on SNL, you kind of get a team MVP, which they get to a stage in the in their SNL career where it's like just pass them the ball and they'll carry the sketch. Like we don't really know what we're doing, but just you know, as long as we've got this person, we're fine. And it has changed from season to season to season. Kate McKinnon was that quite recently um, in, a, in, a, in a totally, totally different way. Keenan Thompson seems to be that forever. It's like if they don't know what to do, they'll just put Keenan in a sketch where he gets to mug and they know it'll be funny. But every now and then somebody like Amy Poehler or Mike Myers or somebody who I'll talk about later, they just you notice they're in a lot of the sketches. They're in, you know, like at least three quarters of the night and it's like we need to just keep on doing this because this is the funniest person we have and we need to keep trotting them out there so Myers was that late and it was it was easy to see that he was going Hollywood by the time he left and that you know it was a really really quick jump and yeah when he was that was right around the time I was getting into it too so to kind of see that him at the top of his game at the end there was really special to see yeah I think so uh he, you know, he was one of my heroes early on as well, for sure. Uh, I, I just think that entire cast, though, you know, like they were they were just clicking on all cylinders. And then this featured player comes in, Mike Myers, and takes it up, notches unknown to uh, borrow a phrase. So, yeah, very, very fascinating. How about you, Kirsten? I am a, a fan of his. Um, I do not have him on my list. And the reason why would be... When I look at my list, all of these people, regardless of, of if these sketches were filmed 15 years ago or five months ago, I rewatch them and I don't rewatch much of Mike Meyer stuff. So, gotcha. Okay. Matt, we're going to come back to you for another pick. Well, sir, staying in that same vein, Kristen Wiig, who's another one of those people who are util- like just became a, a utility player. On season 34, she was in 5.8 sketches per episode, so Gee, like, what? which is unheard of. You know, it's just like she was in like half the sketches or more per episode. And her original, she's and she was amazing at a, at everything, impersonations, original characters, just doing the most bonkers of roles to the most grounded of roles, and like her Bjork. I mean, it's iconic. It's iconic. But also, you got like. Gilly, Target Lady, Aunt Linda. We still miss Aunt Linda. We watch the the, the the late night desk and like, man, I want Aunt Linda reviewing a movie right now. Yeah, so she's she's another one of my players in that same vein of just people who can fit into any any situation to just carry the sketch. Yeah, I was gonna to to piggyback on that. I was gonna say she had several Weekend Update characters. So she really, as somebody who was doing as much as she was doing, you know, in the live sketches and pre-tapes, she was also pretty present on Weekend Update. The The woman just dominated the show, just dominated. I don't know that there's been that kind of domination. Uh, maybe Kate McKinnon since, but she certainly drew the blueprint, I would say. How about the, the two of you? What do you have to say uh, about Kirsten Wig? Kristen Wig. Well, she was my top cast member. She was she was the one I have in my number two spot. She's the other person I was referring to of 
there is occasionally a team MVP. And as Matt was saying, like when you get late into her time there, the numbers of how much she was doing was just off the chart. And just everything she did, she would find ways to make it funny, whether it was riffing on classic Hollywood. I will, I adore all of those sketches that she did where she was, she was on password or, you know, her sketches like, and Margaret tries to turn off a light, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the silliest concept. And there was a reason why it was on at 1245, but it was always so funny. And she never, ever, ever shortchanged a bit. Like she always went full bore into it. Uh, as far as cast members go, she was my top pick. Yeah. I, I think she's a slam dunk. How about you, Kirsten? Oh, she is my number two as well. I can't say enough amazing things about her. And I love that you named some of those characters. I was writing down uh, like a kind of character list. And and I know that Kate McKinnon gets compared to a lot. And, and Kate McKinnon is absolutely fantastic. But I do think Kristen Wiig's character list is more iconic. Aunt Sue, Gilly, Aunt Linda, Target Lady, Penelope, Dunise, the Judy Garland, Gloria Swanson, and margaret Peace. The sexy gross girl, um, the entertainment hosts, especially when Bill Hader puts the colander on her head and, and is <laughs> yeah. spitting in her face. Kathy Lee, two assholes. Oh, yeah. um, Eunice Boylan, the other other Boylan girl. Uh, and then like Drew Barrymore, Kim Cattrall, Jamie Lee Curtis for Activa and Bjork. And then Cinderella of the Real Housewives. Like that is just the quick list. There are more. And I mean, look at the range. It's... It's not only that they're silly, but if you compare like the Anne Margaret one and stuff, those are legit. That is how Anne Margaret acted and danced. The Judy Garland and Gloria Swanson showing up at Vincent Price's, that is how they acted and moved and demoted. So it's amazing um, mimicry um, and talent, but also, yeah, like so much commitment to it. You know, Target Lady, the voice and the mannerisms, there's so much uniqueness. I will love a Keenan mug any day of the week, but I know what it looks like. But with Kristen Wiig, there was such an element of surprise with so many of these. There was so much range that, like, if she doesn't get in this year, Jamie, there will be a problem. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'll be right behind you in line. Okay, I, thank you, perfect. I, yeah, I will <laughs> resign in protest. All right. <laughs> Ryan, um, we're we're coming to you next. What have you got in terms of a of an ad? I have my top choice, and I was actually, I was flummoxed. I was I was aghast. I was agape. I was I was just stupefied that this person did not make it in the first year. I guess maybe it says something to the amount of talent that has walked through Thirty Rock over the years. But my number one choice with a bullet uh, was Justin Timberlake. As far as, you know, like that leans again to what I was saying of like where I have, you know, really, really embraced the show. You can kind of see where I'm going with that. But as far as a a presence, this is somebody, again, like who much like Kirsten brought up with with Paul Rudd, you know, started his career one way, started his career, you know, first of all, started his career very, very cute and bubbly and then became this, you know, this boy band persona. And that could have been the end of it very quickly. Like some boy band members go on to a great career. Others, 
Not so much. Um, see all the members of Backstreet Boys for my uh, citation. <laughs> Around the time that, you know, his career was going from this boy band to a solo career, he also decided that I kind of think I want to be funny. And I kind of think, you know, it didn't hurt that he was palling around with uh, Fallon at the time. And Fallon kind of folded him into the, uh, the, the world of 30 Rock. But he became the, the kind of host they like, who is, first of all, a triple threat in terms of dance, acting, and singing, and funny. But also, most importantly, I think for all of these cast members and all of the hosts, and Kirsten mentioned this earlier, very, very game. If you want to put him into an omelet costume and tell him to go out there and rap, he will. You know, if you want to tell him to dress up in a unitard and pantyhose and act like he's dancing behind Beyonce, he absolutely will. And punctuate it with, we're the dancers. Um, he, yeah, he has just been, you know, there There was a moment where he was becoming a little bit too overhyped in the, in the show's lexicon. And even he had a moment of, of declaring that. But um, I don't think you, again, have the last... 20 years of SNL without Justin Timberlake as a part of its ecosystem. So Timberlake was nominated last year and received 34.8% of the vote. So you're right. It's quite a climb. It's going to be quite a climb. But I think as people are more understand more about the voting process and how it works, I think things are going to be a bit different this year. I, I, I don't know, though. It, it, it's curious. Does uh, Timberlake appear on either of your ballots, Matt or Kirsten? Yeah, he for the exact same reasons. I mean, he's charismatic, triple threat, and like you said, genuinely game. Uh, and he's got real comedic timing. Like it's it's that's something you can't fake. And he it just comes to him naturally. I don't know if it's because he's like started on the Mickey Mouse Club, so he's been in the business since he was a child. But he can deliver. I mean, like you look at my two favorite sketches. Barry Gibb talk show, where it's just like, as Andy Gibb, it's just like, what a weird, weird thing. but he commits and he delivers, and then Dick in a Box, which are both musically oriented, so they make use of those strengths of his, but are, one is very a very small performance, it's, a, it's absurd, but small, and then the other is like this huge, grand performance that became a string of videos, and he, he delivers every time gives what's asked and then some and and it doesn't feel like he's being forced to do anything so i i, I he definitely belongs in the, in the hall of fame what's funny is i had him and i scratched him out just because i wasn't sure but i am going to reevaluate i think much like a kiki palmer who just hosted he's just so comfortable on camera all of those folks that were on on tv as as youngsters or tv or film as youngsters they are so comfortable in front of live audiences with last minute changes they're consummate professionals in those scenarios and I think it frees everyone up to just have a bit more fun because they're less worried about not coddling because that is not the right word but like being careful or a little precious around a host who you know is a little nervous or a little anxious this is not quite they're not quite used to the live tv environment and then you have someone like a Justin Timberlake come on. And they're like, "We're good." Like even if he flubs a line, he'll he'll recover. Even if a set piece falls down, he'll turn it into the bit. Like there, there's just shoulders relaxed. I think when a when a host like him is on, which is huge, and and so you, I think that energy radiates throughout that show, that episode, through the cast. 
and it makes the writing more fun because there's less pretension. And then, you know, because he's game for anything, they're probably pitching wackier things. I'm curious to see him on again soon. It's been a little while. It's probably why I didn't put him on is I just thought, did we run out of Christmasville and whateverville? Like those became almost <laughs> too expected. So I'd consider putting him back on. I do think he needs another show. And I will say his, his episodes with Fallon, because clearly they became friends. Part of the magic of watching that was that they were almost giggling and pinching themselves that this is their life and then that they get to do sketches together and make people laugh for a living. Yeah. I I liked that. I thought I felt like I was in on it with them, especially when they did their little camp sessions. That was very fun. So yeah, I'm on the fence, but he may he may be on by the end of this. We'll see. You know, it's interesting because there are some hosts that we we talked about this last night that span eras. And Timberlake is almost in the same category as John Goodman. John Goodman was there. He was like omnipresent, but it was for the 90s. And Timberlake's almost, he's almost with that third golden age cast exclusively. You know what I mean? Like when Sandberg laughed and when Bill Hader laughed and when the rest of that cast laughed, we haven't, you're right, we haven't seen him since. We do need a reminder. I think we need a reminder of of how talented this fella is, and uh, and and then we can, you know, make a look. This might be something that takes a couple years for him to get back, uh, you know, get back up into, the, you know, that sixty six point one percent area. Who knows? We'll we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be interesting. Kirsten, we'll stick with you. Well, there's a theme among mine, and they are folks who have come from improv. Okay. I want to say that, you know, when you've been in improv, your characters, there's more confidence in them. And, and then I think because of that, those characters really stand out, but there's always a, a real, still a very group mentality. There's no one stealing the spotlight. I think that's definitely like an improv background thing. So in my eighth place, I have Melissa McCarthy. The amount of, you know, just silly one-liners that you can quote from the time she's been on. Again, someone, speaking of game, who's going to dress up like Sean Spicer. <laughs> like there's no, there's no, no ego in it for her. She's like, in pursuit of the character, I will chug from a bottle of ranch dressing. And it's all good. She's, she'll hump balloons with her love for Jason Sudeikis's office mate character. So I have a lot of love for her. I think she, again, is one of those folks who, you know, the pitch room must be so fun because you you get to relax a little bit thinking she's not going to, not funny, you. She's going to say like, okay, yeah, that could work and could probably spin it and make it something even more magical. So I love when someone is that big and bold, yet they don't suck the air out of the room. I think that's a really unique balance to strike. So um, Melissa McCarthy, arbitrary number eight, but on the list. I'm curious to find out if McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy, appears on either of your ballots, Matt or Ryan. I'm getting a head shake. Neither. Just missed, but I mean, I have slots, so I could I could add her. I feel like there's a parallel universe where Melissa McCarthy was a cast member. Mm. Yeah, I think so. She's she that had good. all the skill sets. She's yeah. that good. Yeah. 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 But then would we have missed out on Sookie? <laughs> you know, probably that, that would have that would have been no good my daughter is watching gilmore girls right now and she loves it so much so 
Okay, where should we go? We're going to go back to Matt here for a uh, another pick. Okay, I'm going to mix it up a bit. I'm going to go with a musical guest, Elvis Costello, a.k.a. Declan Patrick Pippi Go Merry Buttons. You know, he wasn't even supposed to be on the episode that earned him infamy. Like, he was a fill-in for the Sex Pistols because they couldn't get visas. And if you look at the first three seasons, there's, like, a couple of exceptions, like Patti Smith... And maybe the kinks where it appeals to sort of like edgier music. But for the most part, it's like Jackson Brown and sort of hippie-ish music or or, yeah. or or blues and stuff. So, but he brought, he was like, really brought the punk ethos, which mirrored a lot of that, that, that sort of O'Donohue energy that you'd see in the sketches that you didn't really see in many of the musical elements. And I, I love that, uh, that. You know, and he did come back. Like he, everybody knows he was banned, but eventually Lauren got over it and let him back on. And then he was like on a bunch of times after that. But it, it, and even his ethos around like radio, radio was an anti-payola song, which is why standards and practices didn't want it because NBC took payola. So that's why they're like, no, 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 you can't do this song. And the the r- rumor is the entire time Lauren was giving him the, the finger off stage. And he just like bowed straight to Lauren, and it's like that's punk. Punk isn't like oh, f you, f you. It's, it's making a political statement that's targeted, that's meaningful, and it's still full of that young, spiteful energy, but it's not wasted. And that's why I think he belongs on there because he's one of those musical artists who just brought it to the next level with their performance. Elvis Costello, yeah, definitely some memorable memorable performances over and above the infamous one but good enough to appear kirsten has already said she has no musical guests on her palette ryan i don't but i love your take on it like i i love the background i did not know those things and that's I, i loved hearing about it but you're right i don't have any musical guests they don't really don't really make or break a show for me i i tune in i'm excited when i really enjoy a performance but yeah, for the second time, I've not chosen musical guests. Ryan? He did not. I have two musical guests, but he is not one of them, which is sort of crazy because I do love me some Elvis Costello. I have a very large, a very large shelf of vinyl that's all in the C section. But it's it's I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna cop to being the whippersnapper and saying that his his glory years on SNL were a little bit before me. So while I do know about the moment that Matt was talking about, and I've, you know, I've, I've watched it and I've, I've read some of those things. I didn't know a lot of those things beyond that uh, was not something that I had really considered. So I was thinking this is, this is an artist that is very um, connected to one moment in SNL's history, but beyond that, what is their legacy? So I would put that for me is in the same box as Sinead O'Connor. Uh, as an absolutely historical moment in the context of the show, but as far as one artist that I'm putting into the Hall of Fame, I need a minute with it, and I just, I, I maybe I guess I need another minute with it. So I, I might have some. Now I think I have some homework to do. I need to look up some some Costello on on SNL uh, moments and see where he went beyond the moment that I know. So let's stick with you, Ryan, and go to your next pick. Well, since we're on the theme of music, I might as well get to, I had, so I've championed two musicians and when I stared at them side by side, it was a hard decision as to which one to put in the 
the top of the two slots. And I actually went against personal preference because the person who I put in the four slot as opposed to the three slot is the person who means more to me. In my number three slot, I put Dave Grohl, who I did. I championed him on this season for reasons primarily of one pure numbers. The guy has appeared on SNL more than any other musician, and it's not even close. And depending on what happens to the show over the next few years, it may be a record that's never beaten. You know, it may be a Cy Young, Wayne Gretzky, Cal Ripken type number uh, that is just never, ever caught. It's an absurd number of times that he's been on the show. He's performed on that stage with both Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney. Uh, how many artists can say that in their in their career, let alone in one venue? And the cool thing about it um, that we discovered on the episode is you watch an entire evolution of an artist to watch him from his first performance up to the last. When he first shows up with Nirvana, if, if a Foo Fighters fan who was like your kid's age, Jamie, if one of your daughters watched that first performance, they'd be like, who's the long haired scraggly guy? I was banging on the drums, right? Because he does not look like the Dave Grohl that we know. He looks petrified. He looks like Captain Caveman, just completely wailing on the drums and not even all that technically well. Up to, you know, you get about two or three Foo Fighters performances in, and then they become more fully formed. And seeing just him perform with Tom Petty, with, uh, you know, this kind of reversion of Nirvana that they did for for Gimme Some Slack, doing that incredible Christmas number just a few years ago, being on the election episode. He kind of wormed his way into the culture of this show. And it's it's been incredible to see him be on. Jamie, you probably know the number off the top of your head. It's what is it like 14 times? I was going to say 14. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an insane number and no musician is ever going to catch that. Is he good enough to appear on? Well, we know again, Kirsten has no. Have you been swayed? Have you been swayed? Sold. <laughs> <laughs> the first time a musician. That was a very impassioned case for Dave Grohl, and I am buying it. I didn't know he's been on that many times. And one of my criteria, because I, I have a list impact on show and, and memorable, impact outside of their show too, and not just how their career went, but that uh, people who are non-viewers of the show or non-fans of the show had awareness of them being on the show. And you're right, he's very ingrained in the fabric of SNL and has been there at pivotal moments and is timeless. I think that's what tipped it for me is he could appear back then if he was on the show in 10 years from now. He has one of the the ability to be kind of classic in that sense, that he appeals to many ages and, and folks of who like many different genres of music. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to recognize that with, with a vote. So that brings you up to 10 votes then, right? I gave Lonely Island one. Oh, right. So, so you're 11. 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Matt, was yeah, Girl on your list? He was. He was for... Again, almost the exact same reasons. You know, like fourteen times, one one shy of a platinum, the platinum club. And again, like you know, I was the right age at the right time for Smells Like Teen Spirit to speak right to me. So that episode of SNL when they were just like when he was like wailing away like a like a scared child on television, but also his his willingness to do um, 
to do sketches. And that's what uh, one of those things that really elevates musical performers for me is when they're willing to go beyond the confines of what they're traditionally assigned to do. It's like Justin Timberlake, you know, another, that's what elevated him. But yeah, like strip club DJ, where it's just like, so he just brings it, uh, or the, the punk band at a wedding when he's sort of backing up Fred Armisen there. Uh, you know, it's just, he's, he goes all the way and he commits and he doesn't do anything by half measures. And that, that really put him on the list for me. Have you I all think... read his book, by the way? No. Absolutely loved it. It's cool. Loved it. Loved it. Jamie and Matt, that's your homework. It's it's incredible. It really is. And if you're a fan, if you think you're a fan now, once you read his book, you will oh, wow. realize just what a what a genuinely good human he is. And please report back on if you when you <laughs> read cl- it and if you He agree. claims he broke a stick in that first SNL performance. He claims he broke a stick when they were playing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, I man. couldn't spot it. So if he broke a stick that's pretty damn impressive. And like he meant, yeah. he says like in the intro too was when he snapped it. But if he did, he covered over that pretty damn well. Oh, Made gosh. for live television, wasn't he? That's right. <laughs> well, it just shows um, the way we feel about him because I think that's only the second one that has appeared on all three ballots. Uh, Lonely Island appeared on all three and Dave Grohl. So that's interesting. Matt, we're going to come back to you. Okay, I am going to go, and I mean, I don't know, he may have become overexposed to the point of being being a questionable nominee, but I'm going to go with Alec Baldwin. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, 17 episodes hosting, uh, so he's a Platinum Club member, 10 cameos prior to 2016, 46 is Trump. I hate that impression. Uh, I hate <laughs> it. Uh, but that he was willing to just do it over and over again because they called. And outside of that like you've got sweaty balls that is like the perfect because it's like anna gassner molly shannon and him they're all these very small performances they're very because that is npr you don't have big crazy characters you have restrained and that's what makes it funny but you know and that's i'm a fan of that i'm not a fan of canteen boy i'm a fan of the sweaty balls alec baldwin and I mean, he's made some weird choices, like when he co-hosted as a honeymoon, you know, with his ex. And that was very strange and uncomfortable. Uh, and it's like, oh, I'm watching a marriage breakdown in real time in the first five minutes of a television show. But yeah, so I, I, and I think he's been dedicated. He's been there for a huge chunk of the history of the show. And I, I think, you know, he was kind of folded into the, the, the culture and the, the community for a very long time. Okay. Alec Baldwin. Ryan, is uh, Baldwin on your list? He was, when I got past my my top four, when I got into my, my back six, um, he was the first one that I went to kind of in a close vein of Grohl, where it's, again, numbers. Somebody who has been there that much, not even including the Trump part, I actually kind of... I've been trying to block certain things out of my brain for my own <laughs> mental health. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's been helpful. Um, so I actually forgot 
about that. But yeah, he, again, over, you know, this century's worth of the show, he has very much been ingrained into the fabric. You know, uh, again, showing that he's willing to be game, willing to be ridiculous. He's another person that is problematic, of course. A lot of these people who we're going to be talking about in, in conjunction with this show, a lot of people who we're going to be talking about over the next several years of our lives are problematic. Okay. Let's just put it that way. But could have, you know, his career could have turned out very differently if he didn't embrace something different. And I, I don't think it's any small feat that not long after he really started showing up on this show over and over and over, he pivots over to 30 Rock and, you know, embraces that part of himself with two arms and gets this whole second act on his career. So, yeah, he he made my list. He was the um, he was the first uh, beyond beyond Timberlake. He was the first host that I that I put on there. So he's on two. Do we get the trifecta, Kirsten? Yes, you do. In fact, he's the in my third spot. It's a shame the overexposure with Trump because it's hard to look past that. And once you do and you wipe that clean, you have sweaty balls, you have drunk salesmen, you have Tony Bennett, you have, I, I actually watched one today. It was like Father Rod in the confessional when he's really young. <laughs> like they, like he also is someone who on paper, like a Steve Carell, you're like, these they play dads or they play business people and they are so, so naturally funny and can deliver that you know, with, a, with a straight face, some of the funniest stuff we've seen on that show. So absolutely he gets there. I think we're all a little bit clouded by the Trump piece. If you take that out of the equation, there's a clear case for him to be on there. I had written down 72 appearances. I don't know what number's right, it, but it feels like it could be 200 because he really <laughs> yeah. does pop up at all these fun moments, but he does great sketches and he keeps a straight face. Yeah. Hats off to keeping a straight face in those moments. And I will say the sweaty balls, the compressed voices is that magic for me. It's yes, the quietness of the performance or the restrained, as you say, but also that that NPR kind of sound makes that so magical because you get to hear every pronunciation of every rotten and dirty thing they say, which is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ryan, where are you at in terms of nominees? We have talked about two, four. We've talked about five of my. Sorry, we've, we've talked about six of mine. Okay. Uh, so I need to get the selfish pick out of the way, and I won't, I'll try not to talk about it too long because there's a whole episode about this show where I go to bat for this person, Prince. Prince has my vote for sure, which is a very, very strange thing to say because he actually wasn't on the show that many times, but when he was, he bloody delivered and he basically took over in his own way. He would play for, there was one of his musical performances that went on for, I think it was a good solid 10 minutes, which is unheard of for most of their musical acts. And he never played the hits. He disappeared for a good 20 years of his career, but he slayed. And every time he came back to SNL, he absolutely destroyed. And what I said on the episode where I went to bat for him was, if you want to understand what Prince meant to this show and the cast of this show through the years, he is, over the course of SNL, over almost 50 years, a lot of rock legends have died. Um, a lot of them. And it's going to keep on coming because a lot of the ones that we really hold dear and dear are not getting any younger. He's the only one that they did a whole special for Prince on SNL. 
and including like his place in the um the rap party for the i guess it would have been the 40th anniversary yeah prince uh if if you if you want to you know have a good have yourself a good little come down after a stressful day of work fire up those prince snl clips all of them you're not going to recognize most of the songs but it doesn't matter because they just kill very nice matt how about you not on my list but it's a strong case you know if i had to choose again i might have chosen differently all right kirsten also not on my list no surprise right it's funny, when you talk about Prince and SNL, I remember two things. I remember the after party that you mentioned, because there was great footage online of my Rudolph jamming with him and Jimmy Fallon. Like, They're all I, losing it. That's what I love about uh, that clip is like yes. there are some of the most famous people in the world in that room, and they are all losing their minds in front <laughs> of this person. I want to be at that party <laughs> Me just too. to watch them lose yeah. their minds. Yeah. Um, I think of that and I think of Fred Armisen's impressions. That's actually what yeah. I think of when I think of uh, of Prince. So they, they wanted to do it. Every time Prince came on the show, they wanted Prince to be on the Prince show. And he never he never <laughs> went for it, which is funny because he's he's another guy. Like, I mean, he's sung with Muppets and he did a whole episode of The New Girl. So I'm surprised that, <laughs> that they couldn't really talk him into that. But he also never let Weird Al cover anything. No. So he, I think he's just very managed, and and he likes to keep control over the scenarios. Could be, but could be. but respect, respect, because yeah. I mean that's why it's so amazing. Is he knows exactly what's going on. Well, I will tell you, he's got a wild journey ahead of him. He finished with nine percent of the ballot last year. I will keep beating this so, drum. I will so yawn just ahead of the five percent threshold. All right, Sheila. E. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well Kirsten, you're I'm going to jump next. because we've just talked about her. I'm going to jump to who I have as number five. I've skipped it, but, but my Rudolph. What a legend. I'm surprised that, like, when I look back, she, yeah, she's 47. She was close. But again, someone who you can't talk about SNL without mentioning, someone who also is a singer, an actress, and a, a chameleon and is willing to look really silly and unattractive is the wrong word because that it seems silly but i love when a, a females aren't the type that have to look like they're trying to be pretty all the time and they're willing to get into funny characters and stuff i wrote down like just some of the lines like when she was maya angelou it was an act of whimsy <laughs> Beyonce and Hot Ones when she wants the wig taken off put six ice cubes under on my head and then put the wig back on um, but I mean, like Donatella, uh, the Price is Right girls, uh, when she was the anthem singer, like who else can you name who's been in the cast can do an entire probably four minutes it was of just silence riffing on an anthem, silence riffing on the anthem. And it was just her in a microphone with a backdrop and an entire nation plus of audience watching one woman ruin the national anthem on purpose that's insane pressure and talent and enough respect has to be thrown her way for that bronx beat oprah nudie 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 and then yeah all the impressions including like whitney houston and stuff so a complete and utter legend she's also someone that i will argue very hard for to be included because she's a national treasure okay Ryan, I've been convinced. I, I have just, I've, I've added, I have, I, I have slots, and 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 Kirsten has, has 
done well to like take over the slots. Uh, Maya's Maya's Whitney Houston will never fail to put me in a great mood. You know, yeah, the shoulders that, that people can't see. This is an audio medium. And it's it's a real tragedy right now because Kirsten is just <laughs> nailing the shoulders and even hearing her say Bobby B, you know, it's it's I, I felt terrible because when Whitney Houston died, I started running those those bits in my head. It was I felt so terrible. Really. It was like the op the complete opposite of my experience when Prince died. When Whitney died, I was just I was giggling far too much. It was really, really terrible. Yeah, Maya, I I, I love I love also that she is she's embraced. It's kind of weird when 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 a cast member moves on, there's this whole um the 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 college champion coming back to the high school thing if they come back. And sometimes it's like, okay, are you coming back because you don't have anything to do or do we know you have a lot to do and you and when you do this like you're making it worth everybody's while. She's in that latter category when she comes back to do um, Kamala. Per- when she comes back to do Kamala, but even when she, for a while there, like she showed up, the one that I will always remember was when they got Betty White to host, when they finally got Betty White in, it was like all the women came back. It was a Mother's Day show too. All the women, they're like, we're, we're going to be on this show. They're like, put, put the cast on notice. We're showing up. Uh, and she and she was one of the ones who showed up for that. And she'll she'll constantly show up for like one little sketch. She's not even in the front of the sketch half the time. She'll just come in, do a couple lines and go. And she always makes all of her stuff really, really funny. She's immensely talented. Anybody who ever watches some of her her more dry or dramatic stuff. Um, you know, I, I know we're straying outside of the realm of SNL here, but. She is immensely talented at everything she does. She can sing so well. Yeah, I don't know why it's never on my list, but uh, you know, shame on me. All right, do we seal the deal here? Yeah, ah. we do. We do. Uh, she was, you know, for for all the reasons listed. I mean, just prolific performer. I was reading uh, when I was sort of doing my homework to prep about how how dedicated to the show she was. Like she literally ate, slept, and lived her entire life in the studio up until she said until she had a kid that's the that that is what changed where she's like oh i need to take care of myself because i have a child so i'm not going to like spend six days a week in the snl studios but and and the broad variety like you know that you couldn't get two more different but perfect impersonations than donatella versace and maya angelou like the exact opposite end of the the spectrum, both delivered perfectly. So yeah, I, she was on the list, and she she one hundred percent deserves to 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 be on there. Great. Okay. Wow. That's the that's the fourth one that's been on all three. Um, Matt, we'll stick with you. All right. I am going to go. I'm going to do my last writer, Jack Handy. <laughs> uh, much for the same reason that Lonely Island kind of fit in there, in that if you were like a kid in the nineties, the like that, you know, his 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 deep thoughts, it would just was this cultural touchstone, and he he you know he created bonkers character like Tunsis the Driving Cat, you know, I mean, and he brought like these really weird ideas but not weird in that aggressive way weird in the silly way which you know it was kind of the counterpoint to the O'Donoghue kind of vibe where he's like yeah okay you can be political and you can be angry but I want to just be tell a sketch where a cat my cat Tunsis is driving a car 
and you know Phil Hartman's in the back, and they all die except for Tootsis. <laughs> like he, he just is willing to do that, and it, and he was one of those writers, writers like uh, he, he almost all of his sketch like really weird sketches landed up in the uh, cast for Good Night section. So that's like when they're gathering the cast for Good Night, they'd have those those weird tape sketches and the, all of the writers would gather around to make sure they watched that because that was written for them. Uh, so he's like a writer's writer where he just embraces the silly, which is something that, you know, I love the punk Rocky kind of screw the man, but I also like a good silly laugh. And he really brought that. Yeah, he sure did. I mean, the number of times that he get that he had his own segment on the show is something like a hundred or something like that. Uh, the number is very, you know, very high. Yeah, really incredible. Uh, Ryan, seasons as a writer, sixteen seasons. I did Jeez. not, but I gotta, I gotta say that the deep thought by Jack Handy, where he says, "I feel like instead of answers on a math." test they should have impressions and then if somebody got the wrong impression what would the difference be i, I have i have carried that with me as life wisdom <laughs> kirsten i also didn't have him but i i agree it'd be interesting if he was a writer now wouldn't it yeah um he it, it reminds me so much of like conan o'brien's sense of humor which you know similarly is is kind of silly and you know, sometimes just wacky, um, which I do really appreciate. You need someone who's willing to write about cats that drive in cars and unfrozen lawyers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, we need that balance with the political stuff. And that's where there's sometimes some real magic. So I didn't have them, but I do think I've said this before. And I'm going to say it again. I need to do a bit more research on it. It's interesting because there are some standout writers from those decades if they are around now, they would probably be more famous. They just didn't yeah, have the, so. the you know visibility that they do unless you're a super fan. So I'm going to go do some Jack Handy research. And deep thoughts are still quoted today. So that says something. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're still just as funny. Yeah, they are. Let's go to Ryan. Let's stick with a writer. I'm going to skip down my list a little bit. And uh, Mr. Dew, uh, I actually have you to thank for this uh, because this is a person who I was not really aware of up until a few years ago and was not really aware of their influence until we went to brunch uh, recently. And you were like, oh, we're talking about this person and they did all this. And I did some research. I was like, shit, I got to vote for this person. Um, my writer is Paula Pell, who is now having a moment thanks to things like Girls Five Eva and and uh, th those sorts of projects where she's actually getting in front of the camera, which must be scary as hell for some for her somebody who's been a writer for so long. But she is responsible for things like the Spartan cheerleaders. We already talked about Justin Timberlake dressing up like uh, an omelet, and uh, and 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 then later on a, a cup of soup. And, you know uh, the um, Debbie Downer. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about like hitting a career home run and then just, you know, bat flipping and walking off, you, she could have, she could have done it with that, which I realize is now completely counter to me saying Elvis Costello had a moment and then walked off, but I don't know. Um, yeah, Paula Pell, uh, similar to, I'm actually happy, similar to kind of what Kristen was saying about how in a different era, these writers would have had a little bit higher profile. I kind of feel like Paula Pell is actually taking advantage of being 
an artist in the moment that she is because she's able to raise her game and do other things. And it's just fantastic to see that she's comfortable doing these other things. But yeah, on on the on her time in SNL, which is quite a long time for a writer too. 13 seasons, Mr. Do? Yeah, it's something I don't have it in front of me. Uh, 95 to 2013. Wow. In an industry like this, in an institution like this, that's a long ass time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had to put her on my ballot. So thanks for brunch and uh, thanks for the idea. <laughs> it was delicious. Uh, great pick and a good conversation. Kirsten, uh, have we... Have we heard the last of Paula Pell, or do you have more to say? I'm going to use one of my votes for her because of this interesting thread here that has now uh, made its way over to me being, I didn't know she, she wrote those. That's incredible. That's huge. It seems like a lot of the women who have worked with her at SNL are really enabling this kind of pedestal that she's now on thinking she needs to be seen. She needs to be heard. She needs more visibility because she is that great and that funny. So that's great. I'm sure there are likely some men doing that too, but it does seem like she's popping up in a lot of these kind of female based comedies. Yeah. For the reason that she wrote even the three that you list. Absolutely. And the tenure. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Getting one of my votes. Great. Wow. Round the horn to Matt. She's only not on it because I ran out of votes. <laughs> like I have nothing but respect for her for all of the reasons listed. So if I could, I'd vote for her, but I ran out. <laughs> well, that's okay. Kirsten, you're up to bat next. I'm just Googling Paula Pell, but yes. Okay. <laughs> um, you know who I had as a writer on my list? And I, this could be a little controversial, but I had Seth Meyers. And I had Seth Meyers because I think he's a great writer. He was head writer for a long time. Um, he was on Weekend Update, had the longest tenure until I think Colin Jost came in and knocked him off that top spot. But he also seems like someone who had an influence on the show that was probably more behind the scenes than we can ever acknowledge, but does have, if you watch his his night uh, nighttime show, has a, a fantastic sense of humor, great delivery. And when I look back at, at uh, the SNL archives that our friends put together, he showed up in a lot of places. And it doesn't mean he either looked like that person or necessarily did the best job, but he showed up and he put on that wig and he made it work. <laughs> um, so for commitment to SNL and commitment to kind of writing and the performance and all of it, I'd love to see him in there. I also think he's a real friend of the show and that goes a long way with me. Um, there's that means there's something behind the scenes that we're also not seeing, which is that they're quite beloved in the SNL kind of ecosystem. And I'm always intrigued by that. Yeah, I don't think that can be understated. You know, going back to Dave Grohl and, you know, uh, people like that, that that whole friend of the show. Uh, well, we're going to we're going to tip our hands as to when we're recording this. But like, I think that them calling in Lizzo as an uh, audible for the, for the yeah, yeah, yeahs that shows that she's got that friend of SNL vibe going on at this point. So I don't think that could be understated. I think that's, yeah, I think that's huge. And Seth Meyers as a, as a pick for a writer, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of, uh, uh, or not ashamed, sorry, you weren't ashamed, but you were sort popular. of saying it was uh, maybe not maybe not the most popular pick. But you think, like, he's responsible for the look and the feel of the show, like, today. 
you know, basically his tenure as head writer, like really cemented a lot of the tropes, you know, that they sort of still lean on to this day for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. I think it's largely for better. Like I think Weekend Update looks the way it does because of him. But um, yeah, great pick. Is he on anybody else's ballot? Uh, Matt, is he on yours? No, but I mean, I love him as a writer as well. And he's a great enabler of other talents. Um, like that's one of the best things during his run as head writer is you had like Mulaney and all of these other great writers who got to to play in ways that they probably wouldn't have. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, not this round. <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah. Yeah. When was he head writer? What was it? What were the years? He was head writer in the in the golden years, like the Sandberg hater. Because I'm thinking Sudeikis. if he was writer in 08, if anybody I don't know if anybody has that in front of it in front of you. That's one of those years where the show was really clicking on all cylinders because that was the year where um Obama was up for election. And not only was Obama up for election, but they were given the gift that kept on giving of Sarah Palin. And had to, one, decide how to use all of that because that was just, you know, if you weren't there at the time, uh, you know, it it was just this really strange moment in American political history coming out of this absolute disaster of a year into an absurd election and absurd in both good ways and, and very, very strange ways. And the show was... They were on a lot. They were doing three shows in a row a lot. They tend to do two weeks on, one week off, or three weeks on, two weeks off quite often. But just because of how much was happening in the world, they just had to keep it going. So if that was one of his years as as head writer, um, you know, I can only imagine they must have been going on fumes. But kind of stemming off something that Kirsten was saying, and not to put words in your mouth, but I think... One of the things that you're mentioning, and please stop me if I'm wrong, is that when you talk about his influence, comedy is known to be, you know, we, we've, we've been talking about problematic people. Comedy is known to be an area where things can get very crazy very quick. And sometimes you need a calming influence, a, a little bit of professionalism. I get the feeling that's what you're talking about. That definitely factors in for sure. Yeah, I think he, yeah, I mean, he's he's professional, but he loves comedy. So he, he does, won't yeah. sacrifice a joke, but he he knows where the line is. Yeah, he's just, he's going to make it a yeah. little bit less of a frat house. It's still going to be a frat house, but, you know, maybe, you know, not Animal House. It'll be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more white collar. I, I would, you know, not as a writer, but I would probably vote for him just based on how he was able to keep it together every time Stefan was at the desk opposite him. Because that is, first of all, that was part of what made Stefan, Bill Hader crack up so much was that Seth had, Seth, well, Seth, but Seth had such patience with him was part of what made, what made it so funny and what made a Hader crack up so much because he's like, nobody should be showing this weirdo this amount of latitude. And the fact that he was always like, now Stefan, you know, that, that would always just make him lose it. And the fact that, yeah, all of the stuff that Mulaney would put into Hader's mouth, sometimes at the very last second, never made him break is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have him on your list now, Ryan, if you if he wasn't and you haven't just added I mean, him, welcome with to that the trade deadline with McNeil and Turnbull. <laughs> you know, this is this is basically the show. 
<laughs> and and it, it, he was head writer in 2008. There we go. 2000, All right. 2006, he took over when Tina left. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I trade you one Myers for one Dave Grohl. A player to be named later. Dave Grohl and Paul Appel. Yeah. Yep. And a player to be named later. Okay. All right. Matt, you are unable uh, to wiggle your ballot. Um, yeah, no, you know, you don't have the wiggle room. You're you're locked in here. So let's get another one of your locked in picks. All right. Well, I'm going to, you know, I, I think this one won't be controversial. So Tom Hanks, uh, Tom Hanks, 10 episodes, you know, five timer. He's the first person to be inducted into the five timer club. The first time they actually did an induction ceremony. Acknowledged it. Yeah. They acknowledged like it. Yeah. yeah. So with Steve Martin and Elliot Gould, uh, an honorary five timer, Paul Simon. But I mean, again, he's one of those friend of the show people. Like he yeah. he he'll come back whenever they need him. Like you know, he'll 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 do bonkers stuff. Like David S. Pumpkins. I have to. Admit, this is me showing my age. I don't understand it, <laughs> but I I I love that people love it. <laughs> you know, like because again, he's just willing to do this this care, but also like potentially risky stuff, like the Black Jeopardy sketch. That yeah. he did, where he yeah. played a MAGA supporter, and it was just like, "Ooh, that that could be dangerous to one's career." But he didn't get blowback because everybody loves Tom Hanks. <laughs> so yeah, so he is he is on my list of of hosts to the point, and he's actually so loved. They made a best of DVD. That's in, right uh, of him in two thousand five. So yeah. so yeah, not many hosts have their own DVD. On that note, I'd be curious if DVDs were still around, how many best of DVDs we'd actually have. We'd have a ton more right now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Where were you the night that you heard Tom Hanks had COVID? Do you remember it? Is it one of those things that you remember about this whole pandemic? Well, I I mean, me, I was in my house because I wasn't leaving my house. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, does he appear on either of your ballots, though? Ryan, he's on yours. He had the 10th spot on mine. Um, I think it's 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 funny. I think that there is a, there are a, a, a several generations now who forget that Hanks came up acting like a great big dork. You know, like he he, he him starting to do films like Philadelphia and Apollo 13 and. Uh, you know, and and even be the the earnest rom com guy with Meg Ryan. That was that was a second act. He he was originally this tall, fluffy headed dork. You know, dressing in drag on bosom buddies. And the thing I think that's fun for him about SNL is it allows him to be a dork again. You know that that's still something that even though he's kind of. America's conscience in a lot of ways that they keep trotting out there to, to be earnest and, and to calm us all down when things are going badly, that he is inside still this, this, this huge nerd who wants to just goof off and be the third night at the Roxbury guy uh, and, and bob his head because that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I had him on there for all reasons that Matt already explained. How about you, Kirsten? You know, and I don't have him, but he's an interesting one because he's so famous that it challenges my ability to suspend disbelief, right? Like that he's, it's always Tom Hanks. And you're right. The Black Jeopardy was friggin' phenomenal. And David S. Pumpkins was like, he, he said yes to that. That could have gone very differently. 
Um, <laughs> but he, when he does show up, he's Tom Hanks. And part of me can't get past that, but I almost, I get the sense that he's like, please get past that because I am just this dork and I just want to be here and have fun. I don't want you to think of me as Tom Hanks, the uncancelable person. Just think of me as like someone who's just like game to put on a wig or put on a dress or, or a pumpkin suit. Um, <laughs> so I didn't have him, but I'm going to ponder that one. While you're pondering, we'll go back to our friend, Mr. Ardell, and uh, get another pick from him. I am going to go with Bill Hader. Again, it's like uh, the people that I love the most are the people who bring the most wild impersonations to the table and make them work. Like Alan Alda and Keith Morrison. Or, or Vincent. Like these are things like you know, growing up watching MASH, uh, my, 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 my wife loves true crime and being a retired goth these are like three major parts of my life and he nails it and makes it funny uh but also like Vinny vidici like such a ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous character stefan another one and he rolls with every punch and some of those punches that were thrown out like mulaney was merciless <laughs> just merciless when he was up there doing stefan and and he he commits and he delivers consistently. And again, he's like one of those people who's willing to do the work. He doesn't need to steal the sketch. He doesn't need to be the center of the sketch. Uh, he will enable Kirsten Wig to be a crazy Broadway star and, and let her just own that own that set. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he and uh, he'll be a really creepy Italian dude coming on to Drew Barrymore. <laughs> it's just very bananas. But I love him. Yeah, Hater's a, a great pick. In the argument for greatest of all time, mm -hmm. for sure, uh, maybe we'll have to do an episode about that one day, Matt. That, that would be an interesting episode. But in the interim, uh, Kirsten, is, does Bill Hader, I saw you doing a little I Bill Hader dance Hater. a minute ago. Yeah, I know. You were doing <laughs> a Bill Hader dance, though, a minute No, ago, but yes, yes. You know, um, you did the episode. That was episode two of the year. Love Bill Hader, the Allen, with his dance, right? <laughs> and I don't know if you ever saw they put it to any song and it works. There's the obvious stuff, but then there's also like he was the wheelchair, the old man in the wheelchair, Cecily's on his lap. I don't even know if he spoke. He just drove that thing around and everyone broke. Um, Herb with the microphone, Herb Welch. Again, it's uh, this nonverbal stuff. Keith Morrison, obviously, that's hilarious. One of my favorites of his, absolute favorites, is Anthony Peter Coleman, the puppeteer or the ventriloquist one, right? Where he's got a very dark past in Nom and everyone's, <laughs> you know, practicing their, their villain, uh, uh, throwing their voice with their puppets. And, and he, he can't get away from telling stories of this kind of war trauma that he has. If you need a refresher, <laughs> look up Anthony Peter Coleman, Bill Hader. And I promise you will laugh all night long. He is, I love his story. Like he kind of, you know, was a PA and in Hollywood and then kind of showed up and again, um, you know, did some Second City stuff and then found himself on SNL. And as I mentioned on the episode I did, like for years, thought that he might go into work any day and get fired. And finally, it got to the point where Lauren said, like, we really like you. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> You're good. And that's what, you know, helped. 
but he was that he felt it was that tenuous a, a, a position for him at all times, which is insane because he's so talented. He was every TV host, every TV host of any game show, of any type of environment where they needed that host figure. Impressions, the Al Pacino, I mean, he's a, a master impressionist. So absolutely, Bill Hader has to be on everyone's list. He He is sorely missed on the show, but he's on to things like Barry. So, I mean... We've got great post-SNL content from him. Absolutely. Ryan, the pressure is on. I did not have Hater on my list, only because I kept it at 10. I got to, I, I got to round numbers. Listen, I got a 15 and a 9, okay? And, and, and this way, I've got slots. I'm open to being persuaded. You know, I, I don't have the problem Matt has, where it's like, oh, you, you raise a good argument, but I'm, I'm just out of room, you know? Oh, what? We're bringing out more food? Uh, I spent all my money already. You know, I, I kept I kept, <laughs> I kept, kept a little bit, which is ironic, because when I was a kid, I was terrible at saving. I love him so, so, so much for... Uh, reasons that everybody has already said for reasons that Kirsten said on her episode. Um, I I am always enamored with the uh, comedians who um, have an appreciation for classic Hollywood, uh, like we talked about with Kristen Wiig. Um, he's very much that. Like he did he did spots on on TCM, um, and I think that's that's part of how a lot of his impressions got that way. That he you know watched a lot of this stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, again, if if I'm in a bad mood, I'll watch Stefan clips and just laugh myself stupid, no matter whether it's the first or the zillionth time I've seen them. So, yeah, hater rules. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just had to draw a line somewhere and and keep slots. So now I have a slot. How many have you used now? Uh, extra ones? Two? Four. You've used four, so you've got one left. I do. Wow. Wow. Wowee. Let's hear who that one is then. So I, yeah, the one person we haven't talked about and the one person left on my ballot, and I'm surprised a little bit, is Will Ferrell. Again, one of those MVPs of toss them the ball and they will make it funny. Whether it's, you know, being one of the Roxbury boys, whether it's being one of the Spartan cheerleaders, whether it's him just tapping a cowbell. That should not be funny. That that should be just silliness that is put on very late. But the fact that he he the one thing I will say about Will Ferrell, no matter what he has done in his career, is that man commits. We talked a lot about how Baldwin's tenure was really, really skewed by how much he did Trump and what that meant. It's funny that the opposite is kind of true of Will Ferrell and his impression of Bush who he then tried to back out a few years ago to remind everybody how bad he was. And again, he <laughs> stuck it. You know, the, that was an incredible appearance that he that he put in. If people want, again, I, I can't, I, I, I apologize that I keep coming back to if you're having a rough day and you need a laugh. I think I'm saying much a lot about how many rough days I've had this year. Um, <laughs> see if you can find Will Ferrell's audition for SNL because his audition was literally him pretending to be a cat and just basically smacking the mic around like a cat with a floof on a stick. And the fact that the man got a job out of that is absurd, but also absolutely the correct choice. Yeah. Will Ferrell just loved the man to death and should be in the hall of fame. Yeah, I agree. I just think to the story with Will Ferrell showing up to the interview with Lauren with the briefcase, full of money <laughs> the idea that um 
no matter what, he just had this idea as a comedian, as a comedic mind, that that was a joke that he had to do. And he flipping did it. Like, uh, I, <laughs> I can't believe it. It's so funny. Oh, wow. Will Ferrell, great pick, Ryan. Matt, uh, have we got Will Ferrell on your list? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is actually my number one for okay. those reasons listed. Sometimes his impersonations aren't, like, they're not Bill Hader-level impersonations. That They're not perfect impersonations, but they're perfect cap- at capturing the spirit. Like, you look at his Trebek. You know, Trebek, because you know, Trebek wouldn't do that in that situation with that, that panel, like Sean Connery writing horrible things about his mother. But you'd know Trebek would think it. So he brings the spirit of these characters to life in ways that are amazing. And his path is such an interesting one, too. I mean, he was a, he was an intern, but he was an intern in the sports journalism department. Which, like, so he went to school for journalism, thought he was going to be a sports broadcaster, and he's like, no, I, I want to be funny. And, you know, his father is a musician. He, he comes from these really weird tangents, but I think that's what gives him the breadth of performance capability. Because he's, he's not, he's seen some wacky stuff. So you can get, like, the lovers sketch in the hot tub. Where it's just like, this is making my skin crawl, but I'm laughing out loud, like riotously the entire time. But I feel dirty, but it's funny. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's definitely on my list. Cool. Kirsten? He was also my number one. Oh, wow. Absolutely. This man, behind the scenes, this is not even on the air. Behind the scenes, Baldwin said something about an outfit he was wearing and he wore it for four months straight in real life. <laughs> the same outfit every single day. And it was like a cowboy kind of outfit every single day for four. That's how long he played that bit for in his own head for no one else but himself. That is someone who is so committed to it. They, yeah, I mean, he gets the... He's the president of this SNL Hall of Fame, quite frankly. Listen, like Harry Carey, obviously Alex Trebek, Cowbell, Craig, the cheerleader, George Bush. When Casual Friday with the American flag thong. (laughs) Um, The reality show couple on the recent one with Cecily when he went back and she doesn't eat chicken. And he's threatened. They've got their faces all taped back and I'll hit you with my dog. James Lipton, Goulet, oh, Robert James Goulet. Lipton. Yes, Utabi. When, if you remember back in uh, when he was the owner of Jeffries and he came out in that little cell phone, that was ad libbed, by the way. That and the, the, what was he on? The, oh, the rolly thing, the motorized like wheelchair. A, like, like a scooter. Yeah, the scooter. Those, if you read some of, of what Sean Hayes has said, like those were not in the dress rehearsal. Like he pulled out that he did some of these things just to to mess with those guys. I also watched that commercial he did where you're, they talk about giving your dog really great food and he's, oh, the reservations were all booked. You're a fucking dog. Like, just <laughs> again, one of those people, like he, on paper, you're like, I don't know, that's some guy in the subway that you just sip aside. You're like, no, he's a fucking comedy legend. He's Will Ferrell and he can do anything and everything. He is so hard to break. So you know when he breaks, it's legendary. When he did that cut-for-time drama teacher who was posting the names of the cast 
uh, who made it. Have you seen this one, The Cut for Time? Uh, I don't think I have. More homework. Go look that one up. When he hosted, I I guess it was the most recent one, there's a, a great sketch that didn't make it to air, clearly, that he's the school drama teacher who fancies himself on Broadway, and everything about it is magical, and I'm so sad that it didn't make it on, but you can find it on Instagram. And uh, and all that to say is is he is he should be made in gold. He should be yeah. a statue of some sort yeah. in gold. That's what I. That's the kind of statue I want to see in when I travel. Will Ferrell. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When there's a physical, when there's a physical SNL Hall of Fame, he'll have a potentially have his own wing. Oh, the cowbell uh, with his belly hanging out. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. All Ooh. right. Kirsten, we're going to stick with you. Do you, or, or do you have, I have one more? I have, you one, have one more. more. All right. Let's and, uh, I had been saving Will Ferrell for last, but I'm going to go back to someone else who everyone, if they've listened to this, sh- this show knows I'm a fan of, which is John Mulaney. For all the reasons I've shared multiple times on the show. I think John Mulaney is a fantastic writer and host and comedic mind, and he is smart, and he is funny. He has written fantastic content for this show. He's a friend of the show, and if you even just look at those musical numbers that he's done, like, outdoes himself each time, um, is moving into this whole new phase where we're going to see more content and material around becoming a father. I think sobriety has done nothing but kind of probably sharpen those tools in ways that he'll continue to appreciate. If you saw his recent stand-up tour, it was beautifully interesting because I'm a fan of all of his, but this one felt like the real him. It felt raw and it felt honest and authentic and they're all amazing, but this is an entirely new side of him. So I'm excited that his career, which Hey, listen, he could call it a day and and ride high on everything he's done, but it is moving into this new territory that I think is going to be equally interesting and productive and hilarious. So I think he would be in this Hall of Fame at some point. He's already deserving of it, but he's still got so much more to go, which is, is, I hope why others may agree with me. Ryan, Matt, yes, no? Yeah, Ryan, I'm going to put you on the spot. You have one slot left. She may need to throw in a conditional draft pick. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could vote for him based on Stefan alone because of the creation of that character, because of the huevos to keep changing shit on him up until the last minute and finding ways to basically break him which which at, at a certain point that just should have stopped like hater should have just expected shit's gonna change and it's gonna make me laugh but yet he found ways to keep doing it and making it funny for everybody else mm-hmm. um yeah maybe me i i i i'd have hold, to do something hold, i hold i have a slot yeah. open and i may yeah. have to do that that's right okay how about you matt I, I love him. Like I saw his most recent. Do you see it in Toronto on the, the? I saw it in New York and Toronto. Okay. Did you see the first night in Toronto when there was a little kid in the front row, like a nine-year-old, and he had to explain drugs to a nine-year-old? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that's like comedic perfection right there. Yeah. Like he 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 just Leaned knows. In, put his foot he, up yeah, on he, the speaker and was like, 
Yeah, we're going to have a target. Yeah. And he knows just how far to push it yeah. without traumatizing a child. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he's perfect. So, like, the only reason he's not on my list is because I think there's so much more for him to do. Like, he can do. Like, he's going to do. So it's sort of like, oh, he's going to be on here. But I'm, right. like, looking forward to seeing so much more that he, he's he's doing. So it's like one of those lifetime achievement war- awards to a 30-year-old kind of thing. Like, it's like, you don't deserve this yet. It's not that you don't deserve it. It's just you got to clear out some of the, the, the waiting list first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love him. He's, like, one of my favorite comedians, if yeah. not my favorite comedian, period. Uh, so, so, yeah. He's not on the list, but only just. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, who is on your list, Matt? Okay, I got a couple of hosts on there one is drew barrymore just because of the absurdity and honestly probably immensely traumatic experience that she went through and still maintained a love of the show i mean her first time hosting she was seven years old it was when she was doing et the first sketch is her talking about how she murdered et and stuffed him in the freezer so this is her as as a child who, by all intents and purposes, should not be awake at this time. But she delivered. And honestly, she was better than Joe Piscopo in that episode. <laughs> so, you know, like, when you're better than the cast members. And then she, she again, she's a five-timer. She's willing to self-parody. Like, when she did her five-timer episode, they're sort of, like, starting into the like, induction-y kind of thing. And she's like, I'll give you a tour. And then bumps into Jimmy and he drops his papers and they have like a little rom-com moment between the two of them. And it's just very silly. And she has a good, like like the Chloe Fineman impression and, and parody of her talk show. She will enthuse about it online. So she has a sense of humor about even when the show is making fun of her. And the way that they make fun of her shows that the show still loves her and she still loves it. So that's kind of what put her in that, uh, in that, you know, constellation of great hosts for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Anybody who's in the five timer, I think is automatically got to go into consideration, you know, at the, at the bare minimum, they go into consideration. It's almost like, you know, 300 wins in baseball. It's just, you know, it's a line and a number that you can, you know, imagine. Now, I wonder if either Kirsten or Ryan will reconsider their position and add Drew Barrymore. Great case for her, but I can't say I remember any of the sketches she's in. I, like, lore-wise, I recall as a seven-year-old girl who's hosting the show, which is insane, and sadly probably doing drugs with the cast at the after party, but I don't remember the show. So she, for me, is more of one of those moment in time, those John Goodmans, those moment in time performers. So, And that's not to discredit them. It doesn't quite meet Hall of Fame, because to me, that's that timelessness also. How about you, Ryan? Matt makes a good argument, but it needs to be a little bit more Turnbullian for me to be swayed. <laughs> I, I will recommend one sketch, and it's yeah. actually a more recent sketch. It's from her last one. It's got her, uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, Kristen Wiig, and Amy Poehler as an 80s exercise oh. sketch. And it's just like good. the three of them are the different levels. 
And again, and it just uses the all of their up? physicality. Yeah, yeah, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Uh, so, so that's that's like my case for her actually having chops. But totally fair. I understand. So you said she also should be on of- again. By the way, that's someone yes. else like Justin that I'm like, bring her back on and let's talk. Yeah. Okay. Well, my last choice uh, is Candace Bergen. So, I mean, the historical part being, you know, first. Uh, per- first woman to host, well, first person to host twice, first woman to ho- host, five timer. She was in the most, you know, Paul, uh, Paul Rudd's induction. And she is in possibly, I think, when I think classic SNL, she is in the one sketch that immediately comes to mind at the, uh, the, the Irwin Mainway toy sketch with. Dan Aykroyd being peak Dan Aykroyd, like aggressive, loud, mustachioed, sweaty, angry Dan Aykroyd <laughs> uh, with a bag of glass and Johnny Switchblade. I think she, you know she held her own. There are moments like when she did a sketch with Gilda and she just completely broke and Gilda just made the sketch all about her breaking and she just leaned into that too. She's willing to make fun of herself. Uh, like a lot of people don't realize she was a photojournalist who did actually some war journalism and she would make fun of that in sketches where like in those early sketches, where it's like painting herself as being incompetent, even though there's like nothing to say that she was, she was a perfectly competent journalist, but she should, she would take the piss out of herself. And that goes a long way for me in respecting a host who's willing to let the, themselves be the butt of the joke. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think she's, really important uh and you know in terms of her again i think of this as like a legit museum and she's important to the history of this show where like where it is now she's a a a pioneer for sure so how does kirsten and ryan feel we'll start with you ryan I am unfortunately in the dark where it comes to a lot of her SNL work, so I have some homework to do, and I will just leave it at that. I I don't know. I know the, I know the you know the 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 toy sketch obviously, but a lot of the rest of it I don't know because Candace Bergen in general uh, it was was a little bit before me, so I I, I can't say for sure, but um, I'm open to uh, certainly to doing some research. Um, I love that you mentioned the Gilda Radner break. That's one of my favorite moments because they always play it whenever they do any type of compilation. I actually looked it up. It's the like, you're not too bright, are you, Fern? I mean, whatever your name is. She <laughs> says, as a matter of fact, you're extremely stupid. Well, you're right, Fern. And you know, I'm proud of it. We can't be brainy like Fern here. I mean, I that is classic. They repeat that over and over because <laughs> it was such a great moment. I think the point made about Candace being a, a pioneer is is incredibly valid. I would put her in the honorary mention category. So Hall of Fame, light. Gotcha. I'm inventing a new category, sorry. (laughs) She's in the annex. (laughs) She's in the annex, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a fantastic uh, discussion, folks. I hope that you've uh, taken all your notes so that when you register to vote, you can make uh, certain to cast those votes on January 10th. This will come out after January 10th. It'll be uh, a little bit into the voting campaign. But I want to thank you 
I want to thank you for coming out. So we'll start with our friend Matt from the Minutia Minute. And uh, Matt, is there anything you want to plug or is there anything you want to Twitter handle? Uh, uh, anything like well, that? I, I produce another podcast, Order Up, with the amazing Carrie Haim, uh, Mary Kennedy, and Kelly Zemnikis. Uh, we talk about things like is a hamburger a sandwich, is cereal soup, and get all sorts of funny people from from around the world. Uh, so check that out where podcasts are casted. Well, I'm not going to bother with Twitter because I don't know how long I'm going to be there. <laughs> right. Matt, Matt underscore Ardell on uh, Instagram. So, yeah. Great. Thanks. Kirsten? Well, thank you. And lovely to trade business and merger, merger, Ryan. No, lovely to chat with everyone. Um, I co-run an event called Generation Woman Canada. It's an intergenerational storytelling event. And it's generationwomen.ca. It's in the Toronto area. Our next show is in January. And we, on a shared theme, have women of six different decades chronologically share a story. And it's a fascinating night. And it's, you know, much like we talked about some of the women on the, in our SNL um, kind of Hall of Fame nominations, um, the voices of women at, at all these different ages and, and how important it is. So um, if anyone's in the Toronto area and they want to come check that out, we have shows four times a year. And Ryan McNeil. I host a podcast fortnightly called The Matinee Cast. Uh, 2023, I'll be putting up my 300th episode. Mr. Do actually helped me land on an idea for it. He's basically my podcasting Yoda. So anything that I'm <laughs> doing right, just give send your credits and your thanks to Jamie Do. Yeah, I, I, we talk about film uh, every other week. Um, all kinds of film, big and small. A lot of small, and I like to do that and spread the word about movies like tar and everything everywhere all at once as much as we do enjoy a good blockbuster conversation having conversations about some of these smaller movies that people can come back to as they catch up with them is something i've enjoyed doing for 300 episodes and uh I, you know I, I must double down and tell everybody that um any work that matt is doing with kelly zemnikis you must listen to because she is a very very funny woman always great on all of her podcast work that she does her stand-up work and i'm not just saying that because she introduced me to my wife, but it doesn't hurt us. <laughs> She's introduced a lot of people to their wives. She's made it part of her, <laughs> part of her act. It's pretty good. <laughs> well, thank you again so much. It's just so much fun to do this. And we will see late in May who gets into the Hall of Fame. So for now, as you're walking past the Weekend Update exhibit... Do me a favor and turn out the lights, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week. Do-ra! Podcasts and such.